Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to Sane Show, show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have another special guest joining us. I have award-winning editor whose credits include Tom Petty, Somewhere You Feel Free, which will be the centerpiece at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival. Jimmy Carter, rock and roll president, previously featured in the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival, her credits also include Nina Simone, Tupac Shakur, Chicago, NWA, Janet Jackson, and The Cure's induction films for HBO's The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have with us Mari Keiko Gonzalez. How are you doing, Mari? Hi, Cliff. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on saying show. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to have you on and for the, for the conversation that we're going to have today. Same, same. <laughs> so really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to take a moment to shout out all the listeners in all 60 plus countries. Thank you guys. I love you guys. Thank you guys for continuing to like, share, subscribe, and spread the word about the same show. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at sane underscore show. Again, that's sane, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter. And then on Facebook, you can find us at Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's Sane Show. So today we're going to be having a conversation about award shows. And then following that conversation, we're going to talk about being present. And then following those two discussions, we're going to have an interview with you, Mari, so that the listeners and I can learn more about you, the things okay. you do, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that, okay? Sounds good. So let's go ahead and kick it off with our first topic award shows mm. so um <laughs> I'm, I'm excited mm. award shows have become an increasingly growing part of the conversation in the not only in entertainment but just in general from the academy awards television emmys and others and there's been you know growing doubt and more than ever that these award shows are highly political like i was telling you, you know, where it started for me <laughs> was when kendrick lamar was snubbed uh, years ago uh, at the Grammys and lost to right. Macklemore. And I know me and a lot of other fans are still feeling that one. <laughs> and yeah. You know, you you know, again, you're in the industry, you're an insider, you you know this stuff very well. So I just I wanted to hand it over to you to get your your perspective and your insight on the topic of award shows and again just it being highly politicized when it comes to like who wins what and all the other things that go into that. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the show, like for the award show, for example, I'm, um, this is the second year that I'm a, I'm actually a judge for the Emmys for the news and documentary, for news and documentary editing. So, I mean, I can say that I watch everything and I evaluate everything. I, it's not, you know, and I pass on, I vote for things that I really like and for, and I outline all the reasons why I do support it or don't support it. But in, insofar as shows, like shows like the Oscars, for example, I think a lot of times what people don't understand is that just even getting nominated, same with the Grammys, same with the Emmys, but for the Oscars in particular, it costs millions of dollars to run it, to have an Oscar campaign. So oftentimes with film, like we can look at a film like Free Solo, which actually won the Oscar last year for documentary. I mean, the film's budget, I don't know exactly what the film's budget is, but I believe it was under, I know it was under $2 million. Their Oscar campaign was $18 million. Wow. Um, yeah. And National Geographic was, I mean, they spent the money on that. And it's the same thing. Like when you see all these ads, like 
for your consideration or you see, you know, whether it's print ads or it's something on the bus or you see these billboards that costs money. Okay. So just to even get those titles in front of people's faces, like there's a whole machine that goes on behind that. You know, with the Grammys, it's the same thing too. I mean, all of these shows that are televised, if you think about it in the way of, you know, in terms of commerce, I mean, it has to make money. Advertisers pay for spots. The Super Bowl is all about commerce. You know, it's the most, one of the most highly watched programs. So all of those, I mean, it translates into advertising dollars. So when you think about, well, what's equitable? How come this person didn't win? Or how come that person didn't win? It's not always that. I'm not saying that everything is rigged because it's not. But a lot of times those are things that play huge factors in who gets nominated and also who wins. I mean, that, that's just the truth. Right. So and I'm, and I'm thinking about it now. You talk about uh, there being campaigns and mm-hmm. it's not like they're paying the people directly, but it's that being that they're running a campaign, they're trying to have some kind of influence over the decision being made. If I'm... Well, it's like so you're inundated with just like advertising, like advertising. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you see a commercial that's running within an hour. If you're seeing a Target commercial five times in an hour for some new sneakers or whatever, you're going to be like, oh, that's going to be in your brain. Just Mm -hmm. like if you're constantly seeing when you're driving around a billboard for, you know, like you were saying, like Macklemore's album, you know, I mean, it's things like that influence you, whether it's subliminally or not, or directly. A lot of films, films in particular, that don't have money behind them, don't have that kind of backing, like they don't really get the kind of eyes on them. That's just how it works, unfortunately. I mean, even with the Emmys, I can say that uh, this year is different because of, you know, every a lot of things are virtual right now. But before, what they would do is they would send all of these production companies would send out DVDs and packages. They spent so much money. I would get in the mail bags and bags of DVDs, like from Showtime or National Geographic or ABC or with all the shows that they have nominated. They put together special things to people who are voting that would appeal to you. So you'll watch their show, like for your consideration. And I've been put up for four-year consideration in several things that I've worked on, and unless that network or that company, production company, it's really the networks, are putting money behind that particular show, there's, you don't have a chance. That's just how it's very strange, but that's just how it's set up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because, um, but you guys have provided that anyway. What do you mean? Right, as far as from the from the governing bot or from the organization itself. Well, no. So let's say, for example, okay. So I was one of the four-year considerations. I did this Tony Bennett's 90th birthday special that was on ABC. It was a two-hour. They build it as a variety. So it was in the category of variety special. It was around Christmas, and it was basically NBC's Christmas special. It was a two-hour show. It was variety, meaning it was comedy. Uh, there were performers, there was all kinds of things. Like we had like the Muppets on there. We had Leslie Odom. We had Tony Bennett. We had who else? There were so many performers, Katie Lang. I can't even remember all the performers, but that was, I was put up as a four-year. So was our director who was David Letterman's director for many years, uh, Jerry Foley. He directed our show. So we were put up as four-year consideration. So you have to go, that's the first stage. So then, and they pay, they have to pay to enter for every category that's entered, that you're entering to be considered to be nominated. You have to pay money. And then once you are nominated, then you have to get people to nominate you who are, who are people who are able to vote, like someone like me. 
You, then you have to get them to nominate you. And then once you are nominated, that's when it starts. That's when it starts where they start spending money on those particular campaigns, like for directors, like the, the network, like NBC has to put money behind that person, you know, in order for them to have a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this year too, I was, I'm in a four year consideration. The production company put me in AB, this time it's ABC. It was, uh, every year New York city has the gay pride parade, which is like a, one of the huge events, like Puerto Rican yeah, day. I happened to go, I happened to be in New York one year and I didn't know that it was pride weekend. And <laughs> it's like, it's whoa, whole city. And people come from all over the world to go to pride yeah. to see floats and see the costumes and it's and it's become what started out as a protest actually mm-hmm. the, the pride parade and it was a protest to the stone it was a stonewall riots it was a protest became this very commercial huge sponsors because that's where because you know it's televised and that's where the money is so it became this very commercial thing so last year i was um i did the the grand marshals there you know i did four the four videos for the grand marshals and the production company put those in to be nominated. Now mm-hmm. they're going up against so many other people. Like I, I can't remember what the category. I guess it's prime time because it was during the day. So that's like a whole other thing. Like you have to think about who you're competing against and what the network is going to spend money on. It's it is very political, like you said. I mean, you're spot on. It really, really is. It's just so weird how these things work. So I don't really care about awards, but I know a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, because I know, you know, I know what it is. And here I am thinking that the governing body for these award shows, like, or at least for the Emmys, we're just picking, okay, this looks good, this looks good, this looks good. We'll, um, we'll nominate them and, you know, we'll review. But right. there's a lot more to that. I mean, once it gets to, like, as a judge, I can say once it gets to this point, I mean, I do love being able to, you know, I, I love that I was asked to be able to be a judge for the Emmys because really the things that I watch are like cream of the crop. So it's all the things that are nominated in these categories. Like I get to watch the best things that maybe I didn't necessarily see, like something that's on PBS that I, that I missed or Netflix or whatever network, you know, that I didn't see, I get to see it now. I mean, I'm also on the screening committee for, you know, film festivals and that's a whole different animal because really anybody can submit anything. So I have to watch through often, you know, 10, 20 films that are not so great before I see a film that's even okay <laughs> that we would consider programming. So like you have, there's all, you know, ends of that. But I love watching, I love being on screening committees for film festivals because those are like, you know, people and real artists who are trying to just get their work out there and their voices out there. And I, and I also like to see what everybody's work, what people are working on and what stories are at the fore, you know, in the forefront. That's awesome. Yeah. I have to hit you up for recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. All right, we're back. So now we're going to have a conversation about being present. And, mm-hmm. you know, you made me think about this a lot, not only during our last conversation, but in between that conversation and today's conversation. You know, just listening to you talk about, uh, you know, being present, not just with the work that you do, but just in life in general and, you know, being in the moment. I I know that's something I've actually even talked about on the show before, but Mm. just really for me taking a different look at it, I guess, because I, you know, thinking more about being present in general and being present outside of just the work that we do. Right. Mm. And it's important being present every moment. And you know, for me, some of the things that came to mind, I'm just thinking about how, you know, I enjoy 
the things outside of my day to day and also the things that I love podcasting, but also enjoy things outside of that. And just the, you know, the simple pleasures, right? Stop and smell the roses as well. And because like you were saying too, it can help as well as far as in the work that we do, especially when you talk about being a creative. So definitely Absolutely. Be, go ahead. No, I think that you're absolutely right. When you, well, when you're present, you're being, you're giving the best version of yourself. So, you know, everybody puts this emphasis on how great it is to multitask. And that's actually one of the worst things, if you think about it, because Mm -hmm. you're doing all of these things really in a mediocre way. If you're doing five things at one time, you're not doing them all to the best of your ability. If you just focus on one thing at a time, like if I'm, when I'm on the phone with you, I'm not on, I'm not, you know, if I'm talking to you, I'm not on my phone. I'm not looking at my emails. I'm not watching television. I'm having a conversation with you. And it's the same thing too. When, you know, I was, I said this before, it always strikes me when, when I'm walking around in New York city, I mean, I'm not in New York right now, but if I get into an elevator and I'm the only person who is looking up. I'm, I don't have, I don't have my phone out. My phone is in my bag or it's in my pocket. Every single person in the elevator is looking down on their phone. You wouldn't even know who's standing like six inches in front of you because everybody's like typing away or scrolling away. And I don't even understand that. And the same thing too, when you're on the train, it's like, you want to make eye contact when you walk down the street. It's like sort of be in the moment and see, you know, know where you're walking, know who's around you, know what stores mm-hmm. are there. And, and you also make connections that way in life, whether you're and at work or at church or at the synagogue or the mosque or in school, it's like when you are present and you're giving everything of yourself, you also receive things. It's a very symbiotic way, I think, to be and live. And that's actually a big principle of I'm in Hawaii right now. I'm not Hawaiian, but my um, my mother was born here. My mother is yeah. my mother is of Japanese descent and she was born and raised in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, because it's so multicultural, there are just so many different people here from all over the world, like their, you know, their origin, not just, and there's also obviously the indigenous Hawaiians and native Hawaiians, but I met this woman the other day who owns this taro farm and she's a Hawaiian cultural educator and she's actually Chamorro, which is an indigenous person from Guam, which is in the Pacific. And not a lot mm-hmm. of people you know, know that everybody thinks she's Hawaiian, but she's, she's Chamorro. And one of the things that she talked about with me a lot when I went to, I went to volunteer and visit there uh, the other day was this concept of, it's called Aloha Aina, which means the love of the land. And just like indigenous Americans, like native American culture, Hawaiian culture is really similar in that way where they put a really big emphasis on nature and the land and humans and that connection and how, if you treat when you're chopping down the tree, let's say if you need tree for wood or for fuel, for fuel, You bless the tree. You say thank you to the spirits that are in the tree before you chop down the tree. And then, and then in turn, then the tree gives you this fuel, the tree gives you fire. And just like when you're cultivating the land, if you're, you know, if you're a farmer, it's the same thing too. You have to be respectful of everything that you do. And to me, that mindset is so important that it's a very basic tenet in, you know, Hawaiian culture. And I just feel like that should translate into everybody's like day-to-day life. Like that is the way that we should live. Like you, what you, instead of taking, instead of thinking about like taking and consuming, you should really be thinking more about what you can give. And when you give and receive, that's just sort of this like 
balance and this, you know, a, the cycle of life. So. Yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> you took it. You you. Uh, this is something my friend and I we've talked about before, as far as uh, you know, giving, writing, mm-hmm. coming from a place of giving, and it's, it's crazy how I'm just sitting here thinking about how we always touch on something that mm-hmm. had made that we may have touched on in mm-hmm. some form of way mm-hmm. in another sh- episode but what you said as far as giving you know that's something I always talk about coming from a place of giving and 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 not necessarily to receive it's just that when you give you you naturally receive because yeah. it's just the energy flow it's just right what you know, whether it's God, whether it's spiritual, I mean, it is all spiritual, but it's also very scientific. I mean, it's, it is, and it's, and it's very pragmatic and it's very practical. It's when you get it, what, you know, if you give something or if you take something, you should give and you can, and it's just, you're moving energy that way. And if you operate and you walk in the world that way, you will find that your world and the world of other people around you, you can affect in a really positive way you know you don't know how you know when you do these little small tasks and when you are present because it all goes back to being present when you're listening more than talking when you're taking in so that you can then give out (laughs) it's more important i think and as you get older it's something that i think is is really important as you gather knowledge along the way in your life the more you listen and the more you take in the more you're able to give to other people and to other and to other things i think yeah, that and, you know, something that's really been on my mind lately as well is contentment. Mm-hmm. Knowing that for me, I've, bec- I've become content. Mm-hmm. And also learning that to be and being content is not being stagnant. Right. It's really appreciating all that you already have mm-hmm. while you may be striving for more. Just not like, so yeah, definitely. Because that, I, I think about the days where, I've had a really good week. I've gotten a lot done. I have mm-hmm. a lot to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I sit down and I relax. Like something I, I do occasionally, you know, I have a cigar and a glass of whiskey mm-hmm. and I sit outside and I, <laughs> yeah, it's the I, most, yeah. it's I one love, of the most relaxing things. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just overflowed with joy because yeah. I'm, I'm like at peace. Mm-hmm. Well, because so, you're still, because you're being still. Right. So. And it's like, I have nothing to, like, I mean, there's, yes, if you find something, you can worry about it. But Mm -hmm. just understanding and believing that everything is going to be okay, everything is going to work out for the better, whatever it may be. But Mm -hmm. in that moment, like you said, be still. Mm -hmm. Take it in. And it's one of the, like, it's it's one of the most joyous of moments. And especially, like, I'm, most of the time, if not really all the time, I'm by myself. Right. <laughs> yeah, especially so because people talk about that. being That's alone. Already and... an innate thing to you. Like, yeah, you already practice it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the best. Because I, I, it gets me when people talk about being alone and like mm-hmm. no, and being lonely. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. Like. <laughs> two different things, though. You can be lonely exactly. and be surrounded by people. Right. And that's the thing. Like, and it's like just because you're by yourself doesn't mean you're alone <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. so oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah so you you definitely you definitely said some great things there man <laughs> you got me excited <laughs> <laughs> good
All right, we're back. Now we're going to have the interview. I'm going to ask you some questions, Mari, so that the listeners and I can learn more about you, the things that you do, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. Okay, so I'm going to fire off with this first question. You talked about keeping your ears in tune with the younger generation. Does Mm -hmm. that affect the work you do? If so, then how? Yes, that's a great question. I mean, I definitely think it's important to listen to the younger generation and people who are going to be, you know, responsible for making decisions about my life when I'm older and, you know, and really like running the country and just all of the change and things that are happening now, the people who move the needle towards that change, you know, historically, it's always been the younger generation. And so I think it's really important to listen to that and to look to that. Yes. With the work that you're putting out there, but just also in, in life and how I just think like listening is really important and just insofar as how it affects the way I work. You're not, I know that when you're making art or if you're creating of something, you, you're not supposed to think about the audience, but I actually disagree with that. I think that it's really important to think about the audience because otherwise, what are you making it for? Why do you want to tell the story? Do you want to just tell it to yourself? Do you want to just like do a painting or make a film or write a song like so that you can hear it? No. You want people to be able to connect to it. And so I think that it's really important to understand not just what's going on across the country and in the world, but just really what the prevalent issues are for the younger generation. Because I think that that ends up, because the world is a little slower than young people, so I think that that ends up, like, when you know, whenever you hear someone says, oh, we were talking about that last year, that was five years ago. It's like, but it takes that time for it to reach the mainstream. It takes that time to for other people to be informed so if you have a direct connect as i do i have a i have a grown daughter who is she's 30 and so we're and we're very close and so i you know i often like a lot of times i'll run things by her i show her things you know to get her opinion on something if i'm like a little up in the air about how i'm telling a story or how i'm presenting something let's say it's in a film or in a show or if i'm working on when i go to new york in a couple weeks i'm going to be working again with alicia keys on this concert that I worked with her on a few years ago, maybe like a year ago, and we're going to finish it and I'm doing something else. And, you know, so it's like whatever I'm doing, I always, I do ask, you know, I just, I just ask for opinions. I think it's very important to, um, just to hear what, what, what she thinks and, and what her, her friends think, you know, what her peers think, because that I just really value that insight because she's going to look at something in a way that I might not necessarily see off the bat. And I think that that's important. To come out of your comfort zone. I just, I feel like it's really important. I agree. I agree. I respect that too. Yeah. My next question, you mentioned that you work 11, 15 hour days. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> and <laughs> that making time for yourself is important too, which I definitely agree with. Yeah. How do you find balance for yourself? I mean, it's hard. I'm still working on that. I, uh, <laughs> I, it's, you know, when I'm on a project, like for example, this is supposed to be my time off. I just finished a pilot with a very close friend of mine, Dorothy Turan, who owns this company, Lauren Grace Media. And we worked on this Race in America series. There were a couple of there were a couple of shows that we did for Bravo. And it was it was this pilot that we did with Mario Van Peebles and his family. But I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a series, but it was just our schedule was crazy. And I was working like 15 hour days, like every day, every day, weekend, you know, night until we finished it, until we delivered it. And often when I'm working on a 
project like that, whether it's a show, a TV show, or it's a, a film or a concert, you know, the hours are, everybody wants it yesterday. Like everybody's project is, oh, this person wants it. Oh, we have to finish it by Friday. Or, oh, we got to finish it by, you know, June 2nd. Like we just, you know, everything is like urgent, urgent, emergency, emergency, hair on fire. I've learned that, you know, no, it's not. I mean, yes, there are air dates. Yes, you have deadlines and deadlines are important and you cannot miss them. But I think that when you set parameters for yourself, which is what I'm, I've learned to do, I think it helps you be more productive. It's back to that being present, you know? So if I'm working, if I know that I have a 10 hour, Monday through Friday, I'm supposed to work 10 hours minimum, right? On the, on a project that I'm doing. I try not to work more than 12, 13 hours. If we have a delivery, if we're sending stuff out on Friday, that week might be rougher. But a lot of times I'm not just working on that thing. I'm also producing another film or I'm helping somebody write a grant or I'm mentoring another editor or I'm looking at a trailer. I'm watching people's films. Like I'm doing all of these other things. Plus the things that I like to do for myself, which is like surf and run. And I read a lot and I'm a news junkie and political junkie. So I, I just read in history. So I read, I'm constantly like reading and learning things all the time. And so in order for me to be able to do those kinds of things, I have to set boundaries for work. And a lot of times, too, people reach out to me on the weekends, like if I'm on a run, like I don't take my phone with me or I make sure that I just you have to disconnect a little bit. You got you have to. And not a lot of people do. People always have their phones with them or they're always like accessible, you know, with your phone, your computer or email, this or clubhouse or Instagram. Or th there's everything. There's so many ways to communicate. But I think that in order to be a productive, successful, and happy person, which is the most important thing, I think that you really have to make sure that you take time for yourself. Take time for yourself. So even if you have a family, you cannot give to your family if you are not taking care of yourself in some way, which means your mental health and your physical health. Like both of those things are equally, equally important. So, and that's how you, that's how you can be more productive as a, as a person and also a better friend and partner and son daughter everything parent you know definitely give me some things to think about <laughs> and it's Seriously. hard because we're, we're we're working remotely right now and so yeah. it's like you could just be working 24 7 and just be sitting there at your computer all the time but you gotta like get up you gotta go yeah. outside you have yeah. to just force yourself to do that you know and just even get up like or just drink water so it makes you just get up to walk away you know just right. like it's like you have to be able to get up and just take a break. It's just good for your brain and your and your soul. I definitely agree. <laughs> so yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so having put together a few reels for artists, Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, mm -hmm. such as Janet Jackson and Nina Simone, knowing that you want to capture the best moments, mm -hmm. how tough was it finding the right music, footage, photos, et cetera, for highlighting their careers within a few minutes? That's also a great question. I can talk about Janet Jackson in particular because I love Janet Jackson. You think about, so what is she being inducted for, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in particular, right? She's, it's her career, absolutely. But people know her for this certain era, for that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis sound. For that. That's like what you know, that's what she's known for. And of course she's done tons of music since then. She's done a lot of things, she's done a films, you know, included that there's like, she's done shows. She's obviously a member of, you know, the Jackson family. So there are all of these things. And how do you encapsulate somebody's career and their life in, in four minutes? It's difficult. That's the answer. 
Um, <laughs> what we did, but what what I did is with the producer um, Jillian Appleby, who I adore. We are also very symbiotic. We have a very similar aesthetic and how we work together too. So it's almost like our our communication is secondhand. Like we have very similar taste, and so you know we pick not just like the hits, but like yes, Janet's like bangers. You want some ballads, but you want what you know pre- pleasure principle. You want like nasty. You want you know all of the songs that people you know. What have you done for me lately? And, and then, you know, but you also are trying to tell a story of, of how do you tell a story of this woman's career by just using moments or compartmentalizing this particular time in her life. So that was very challenging, but we kind of, you know, we, we mostly focused on that era of her music because that's really what she's known for. But we did show, you know, use some of her new stuff, some of her visual visuals. We showed a lot of her new videos an interview for Raw Call, you don't do what they don't do, unlike hip hop honors, is they don't do a new interview with the artist that's being inducted. Sometimes the artist, it's posthumous. Like when I did Tupac, he was not with us when we did Tupac's film. Same with Nina Simone. So we're using our, all archival footage and we're only using that person. We rarely, rarely do you hear a voice from anybody else because it's like they're the ones that are being uh, getting the award, they're the ones that are being inducted, rather. Right. Oh, it's definitely challenging, but it's it's fast and it's furious. But yeah, we just I just sort of we pick the music first and then sort of build that out. I'll build like a skeleton, like a radio edit where I'm just having her. Even if you're not seeing her visually, it's like her voice from that time also to keep true to that era and just weaving that in and out of different songs and doing music edits. And then we go back and, and cover it. I did a little I did a little mix at the beginning, like a Mari mix. It almost sounds like a little DJ mix of like seven or eight songs before we actually, like a tease, like a 15 second tease before we went into the thing. So yeah, really with, uh, with Janet Jackson in particular, it made me go back and yeah. it was like, oh, I got I forgot about this song. I, let me go look it up. <laughs> so many great songs and music videos, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, like, it was, that's it was some iconic well videos. Yeah, yeah. So that was, it's very challenging, but it was, re- it was really fun. My last question to you, you know, editors play a critical role in a project, making sure that everyone and everything looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What makes editing certain projects more difficult than others? Honestly, I think that documentary editing, documentary film editing is probably the hardest. And it's the hardest because you have, especially with films that have a lot of archival footage, I'm about to... I'm so excited. I'm about to <laughs> start a film about Dan Rather and it's going to be like his legacy film. So it's all about so 60 years in journalism and reporting. So think about all of the things that have happened that he's covered in that time frame, right? Up until now. And he, you know, like, and through from the Kennedy assassination through the Trump yeah. presidency, through Kamala Harris, like, all of those things. I'm just talking, you know, that's just like the timeline of the president, right? The presidents. But with new footage, those all these new interviews, all the new pundits that we're gonna that they're interviewing, all these contemporary people, like let's say, let's just say it's AOC or and then you have you're interviewing Dan Rather, all these new interviews with archival from that amount of time, news archival, his archival, like all of the stuff. How do you how do you filter that down to tell a story? And I mean, that's very challenging. I do a lot of films that are like that. And it's always much harder than, you know, let's say doing a concert. So if I'm doing a concert, 
it's a finite thing. Like when I did this Jay-Z concert at Madison Square Garden, there are, I think there were 12 cameras, 12 cameras, but it's this song. So it's like, let's say I'm doing like eight songs. Well, I know there's a beginning and end to this song. I have only these options of 15 cameras. I can change the way the song feels and looks. And when you're cutting to this shot and when you're seeing him in close up and da da da, like that's part, that's what you do when you're doing a multi-camera editing. But when you're putting together a story like that, it's like, I mean, you're really, as the editor, you're the director. I mean, you're telling the story. You're working with the director, but you're really the one that is laying down the narrative for what people are going to watch and what you're going to take away from that particular subject or person. With something that's scripted, like, let's say, I don't know, like The Shy, for example, which I love that series. The, the Shy you know, that's something that's shot. So as an editor, you're really trying to make, I mean, it's a lot about continuity. You want to make sure that that shot, if, I, if it's like a wide shot and if I'm turning around, that it matches, like my action matches. It's not so much like narrative, like the, the writers and the, they're the ones that are really putting that together. The writers are really doing that. In documentary editing, you are really the writer. Like you're writing that as you go, as you go along, as you're mm -hmm. building. So it's very, very different. And I love it. It's it's a lot of work, but it's really it's great. It's my favorite my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hey, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on Sane Show. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed you as well, and really enjoyed the conversation that we got to have. And thank you for sharing all of the insight that you shared with myself and the listeners. So thank you, Mari, for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely have to have you back on sometime in the future. So. <laughs> sure. Cool. And again, listeners, thank you guys for continuing to listen and support the Saying Show, continuing to like, share, subscribe. And remember, you guys are listening to Saying Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out. Mm -hmm.